Lord, that's our heart tonight, that, Lord, we would be filled overflowing with you. The Spirit of the living God, we thank you and we praise you for your love and your grace. We pray right now, as we go this time in your word, that, that Father, you would be teaching us through your, the person of the Trinity, the, the Holy Spirit, Lord, the third person. I just pray that each of us, our eyes and hearts, again, would be open to your truth. Lord, I want to lift up Elizabeth to you right now and just pray that you would comfort her and Father, be with her family and their newborn baby. And I just pray, Lord, that, Father, you would use even this for your glory. We ask these things in your holy and your precious name we pray. Amen. Hey, as we turn your Bibles to Deuteronomy 13, and as I prayed, we have a, we had a guy that attended our church, him and his wife, right when we first started at the Vets Hall for a couple of years. His name was Joe Spence, and um, they got married, and they just had a newborn baby. And then we just heard this morning that he was killed in Iraq in that helicopter that went down. So pray for Elizabeth, and they have a baby that he never even saw. Now, the good news is, as Christians, we know where Joe is, amen? He's in God's glory right now, and he wouldn't come back even given the opportunity. But at the same time, the Bible says to weep with those who weep and rejoice with those who rejoice. And I know she lives in Hawaii now, but I believe she's coming home. Her family lives in Scotts Valley. So be praying for Elizabeth. And uh, Elizabeth Spence is her name, and their baby, I believe her name, I'm not positive, I believe her name is Providence. She's a couple months old. So be praying for them. If you don't have a Bible, raise your hand because you're going to need one. Raise your hand if you need a Bible. Anybody? If you don't have one in your hand, just give them one, Joe, if they don't have one in their hand. <laughs> Deuteronomy 13, continuing our verse-by-verse study through the Old Testament. Now, as we've been going through Deuteronomy, we've been looking at Moses, God's appointed messenger to the children of Israel, giving the law to the next generation. I'm not going to take the time to give the thorough background like I usually do, because we have a lot to cover tonight. But I want to say this, that previously he had talked about the mistakes that the previous generation had made, and he was preparing them to enter into the land of promise. And as we saw last week, he warned them that when they went in, the first thing they needed to do was remove all the high places, every place that idol worship took place, and destroy them completely. Now tonight, we're going to be looking at a message that I titled, What Does God Think About Other Religions? And it's interesting because we live in a time today that that will be a question that many people struggle with as they try to broaden the path into heaven. And we're going to see very clearly tonight in God's message through Moses to the children of Israel just exactly what he thinks about other, quote, religions. And we're going to see God's heart and it ought to be our heart today. The struggle that happens with people today that are trying to make, you know, the path to heaven broader than it really is, it originates with the view that, that, oh, well, sincerity can get you into heaven. Or spirituality, as long as you're spiritual about something. You know, good morals, uh, being a pious person, being really dedicated, as long as you're religious and you have passion for something, no doubt God's going to, you know, let you into heaven. And they elevate sincerity and spirituality and morals and piety and dedication and religious passion against the clear truth of God's Word. And that's a huge mistake, a mistake that will cost people for eternity. Because it's only through Jesus Christ that we can be saved. Amen? And there is no other path into heaven. And he's making this message clear to this generation as they're about to enter in. He said, not only rid yourself of the high places, but also he prepares them not to fall into the trap of the false gods. This disregard for the, and, and or ignorance for the truth of God's word has led to foolish and blasphemous statements coming out of the mouths of both 
people who are lost, and even some who would call themselves Christians. I wrote a few down here. Some things we hear people say. It's all good as long as you're sincere and you believe in something. Ever heard that? Oh, those monks, man, they've sacrificed so much. They spend so much time in silence and prayer, you know, and God is surely going to bless them for all they've suffered and given up for Him. The Buddhists and the Hindus haven't had as much exposure to the Bible as we have, so I'm sure that God will let them into heaven based on what they did know and how they responded to what they knew. You've heard this too, all paths lead to heaven. It doesn't matter what you call God as long as you believe in a God. Maybe it's Muhammad for the people in Africa, and it's Buddha and Hinduism in Asia, and it's Jesus for the United States and Europe. You ever heard that before? I've heard it many times. Others will say, well, he was such a good man, God will have to let him into heaven. He was so good. The Mormons I know are good people. They have better morals than a lot of Christians. That has to count for something. The Jehovah's Witnesses work so hard and they study their Bibles. Let me put that in quotes because they don't have the Bible, but they've got something they call the Bible. They study their Bibles so much, I'm sure God will make an exception for them. I just can't believe that God would be so narrow as to only let Christians into heaven. That seems so unfair to me. You know, there's good in all religions. You ever heard that one? There's good in all religions. Let me make it real clear to you. There is no good in any other religion other than the true one. Why? Because it said... Jesus said, why do you call me good? Because only who is good? God. And all other religions, quote, religions have nothing to do with the true and living God, so there is no good in them. But Pastor Dave, they do good and moral things. There is no good apart from God. That sounds so narrow, doesn't it? Who am I to judge if a Buddhist, a Hindu, a Muslim, a Mormon, a Jehovah's Witness, a Christian scientist, a New Ager will get into heaven? Who am I to say that my God is better than someone else's? I had a guy flying back from India who was a Hindu who was telling me, so you're, he looked right at me and said, so you're trying to tell me that your God's better than mine. I said, no, what I'm trying to tell you is that the God I serve is real and your God doesn't exist. That went over real well, by the way. But, <laughs> but we've been going, you know, it's an 11-hour flight. We've been talking a long time. It started off very cordial, but he kept saying to me, we've got 30 million gods, you've only got one Jesus. I said, you've got 30 million dead idols, we've got a risen and living Savior. And we need to understand, again, all these false religions and false gods that people are buying into the fact that maybe there are many paths. Maybe it's okay as long as I believe in something. I may not be perfect, but I'm not as bad as some people. And hey, I believe in God. Hey, the Pope, the Dalai Lama, priests, other religious leaders will no doubt have a special place in heaven. How can every other religion on the planet and billions and billions of good people all be wrong? Ever heard that before? How could billions of people be wrong? We're going to address all this tonight in the text. So you're telling me that all Hindus, Mormons, Muslims, Buddhists, Jehovah's Witnesses, Christian scientists, New Agers, agnostics, and and atheists are all going to hell? That's just not fair. And that's just not right. Tonight as we look at Moses' instructions for the children of Israel, as they prepare to enter the land of promise, we're going to clearly see what God thinks about other religions as he gives clear instructions as to how they are to respond to those who draw them away from him to to serve any other god, to follow the false gods of the world. The word religion in the original language is relingara. And relingara means to relink. It's relinking sinful man back to holy God. That's what the word religion means. Now, Only one could relink sinful man back to holy God. It must be a perfect holy sacrifice. No one else can relink sinful man back to holy God except for Jesus Christ. Amen? 
So by the very definition of religion, there are no others. Amen? Now, I've come to hate the word religion. I have to confess to you. How many of you feel like I do? Are you religious? I go, right? Why? Because religion has come to mean man's attempt to reach God through man's own good works, which is impossible. I much prefer the word relationship. Because it's not about my attempts to reach God, but it's God reaching down to me and having a personal, intimate relationship with me. I don't just know about God. I'm not striving to find God. I have a personal, intimate relationship with God through the person of the Son and the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen? And so the word religion, in its right terminology, there is only one religion because there's only one that can relink sinful man back to holy God. You can crawl on your knees to, gla- on, on, on your knees to Mecca on glass a thousand times and won't get you any closer to God. You can, you know, change your aura and, you know, feel, think really good thoughts and, you know, feng shui your apartment and all that kind of stuff. Get the positive chi coming in, right? Chi, that's something you put on a ham sandwich, right? I mean, and so often what happens is people think, I can, you know, somehow, you know, the aura, the thing. No, you cannot get back to God in your sinful state apart from a sacrifice that pays the price on your behalf. And Buddha didn't do that. The Hindus, Hinduism doesn't do that. They believe in reincarnation. These things don't agree. And so, again, it comes across somewhat narrow sometimes. But I'm so glad there's only one path to heaven. How about you? Aren't you glad you're not trying to figure out which 10 of the 300 are really good? Aren't you glad there's just one? And aren't you glad God loves us enough that He spelled it out in Scripture? And that's one of the keys we're going to talk about tonight, is that we need to trust in the Word of God, because if we don't, we're going to get confused by what men say. Any religion that cannot relink sinful men back to holy God is not a religion. And it's not about religion the way the world looks at it. It's about relationship. Now, what does God think about other religions? At the end of chapter 12, if you have your Bibles, God commanded the removal of the high places, and then He told them, don't even have any memory of the idol worship. So you're not tempted to follow the same gods. Then the chapter ended, let's look at the last three, four verses there. The chapter ended, and God says, don't, I don't even want you to ask about their gods. I don't want you to know about them. I don't want you to ask about them. I don't want you to even be concerned about with how they worship, because you might fall into the trap if you do. So don't, be ignorant when it comes to, their, to the false gods in the land. Look at the verse 29. When the Lord your God cuts off from before you the nations which you go to dispossess and you displace them and dwell in their land, take heed to yourself that you are not ensnared to follow them. After they are destroyed from before you and you do not inquire after their gods, saying, how did these nations serve their gods? I will, I will, I also will do likewise. He said, don't find out what they did. Don't allow that pattern to be created or you might fall into the same trap. Verse 31. You shall not worship the Lord your God in that way. For every abomination to the Lord which he hates, they have done to their gods. For they burn even their sons and daughters in the fire to their gods. Don't mix religions. What he's saying here is don't mix following me with something else. And there's a lot of people out there today that think they've got it over. You know, have you ever heard of the Baha'i faith? You ever heard of that? We take something from everybody. We got the best of all worlds. That is the dumbest thing I've ever heard in my life. We believe in parts of Hinduism. Well, Hinduism believes in reincarnation, and the Bible says it's appointed for man once to live and then to die and then the judgment. How can both of those things be true? They can't. So it's the dumbest thing in the world to say, I take from, you know, we believe one plus one is two, and one plus one is four, and one plus one is nine, and we just believe them all. That's foolishness, isn't it? 
And that's what, you know, he says, look, don't incorporate other things from other faiths. What I have given you is sufficient. You don't need anything else but this book right here. Amen? We don't need to add and take away. Give, I don't need any more books. I got 66 books written by 40 authors on three continents and three languages over 1,500 years with one central theme and no contradictions. And how's that possible? Because because God wrote it. Amen? And so I've got God's word in my hand. I don't need the opinions of men or anything else. And he says, don't fall into the trap of hanging on to what they did or finding out what the previous people that were here did before. And don't mix what they're doing into what I've taught you to do. Serve me and me alone. And in the world we live in today, too much of that is going on and it grieves the heart of God. Verse 32, whatever I command you, be careful to observe it. You shall not add to it nor take away from it. Again, Worship God according to His command. Don't add to it or take away from it. So again, we're going to see just how serious God is about our worship being for Him alone. How we are to respond to those who would draw us away from Him to serve other gods. How our relationship with Him must become before our relationships with our pastor, a prophet, our family, and even the masses, even the world. Now again, some of you are going to struggle with some of this tonight, but that's okay. This is the Bible, not my opinion. And the Word of God is true. Far more important than what you, your pastor, your leader, your family, or the world thinks is where you stand with the Lord. And we're never to fall for temptations that will lead us away from God and allow the influence of others to take our eyes off of Him. So tonight, if you're taking notes, here's the three things we're going to see. We look at what does God think about religion. One, we're going to see temptation coming from false prophets. Those who proclaim to speak for God, but are speaking a lie. Do we have a lot of those in the world today? Absolutely. Turn on Christian television even sometimes. Amen? If you don't know, read the Bible and then listen to what they're saying. I don't know what book they're reading. Now there are some on there that are solid, but there are many that are false prophets, and that we're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about temptation that can come from unsaved family and friends to draw us away from the truth. You give your life to Jesus Christ, you're going to have family members and friends that think you're out of your mind. You did what? You became one of them born-agains? Right? What, what, what's wrong with you, man? Just believe in God like the rest of it and live like live, live and let live, man. You've got to be so radical about it, do you? I mean, come on. I told you that somebody told me just recently that that the reason they left our church is because we act like the only thing that matters around here is God. And I went, okay, praise the Lord. I like that. Man, they act like all that matters around there at Coward Chapel is God. Well, guess what? All that matters is God. Amen? When I get to heaven, I'm not going to be worried about what kind of car I was driving, how much money I made, how much money I had in my 401k, how much I could bench press, how little or much hair I had, and praise God for that. Amen? None of that's going to matter in heaven. And too often we think that God's just part of what is life is about. No, life is about having an intimate fellowship with God. Amen? And everything else does not compare. Temptation from family and friends and finally temptation from the world. Let's begin in verse 1, looking at temptation from the false prophets. Okay? Verse 1. If there arises among you a prophet or a dreamer of dreams, and he gives you a sign or a wonder. Now the word prophet, God had raised up prophets in Israel during those times to call people back into faithful worship of God. Now prophets weren't just guys who told the truth. You know, a lot of people think of a prophet and they think of, you know, Dion Warwick or 1-900-Psychic or something, right? No, a prophet was somebody who spoke for God. 
And often what they spoke was just the word of God directly to people. I believe that it is prophetic what I'm doing right now. It's not just foretelling, it's forthtelling. It's the telling of the truth of God's word. And so God raised up prophets so that they would keep the people's eyes back on God. When people started to fall away, the prophets were there by God. Because you've got to understand that in those days, were people walking around with the New King James Version of the Bible? They didn't have the Bible. They had the Law of Moses later, and they had big, huge scrolls. And even then, can you imagine if you wanted to... There was no verses and chapters, and people weren't all sitting with the Bible on their lap. You know, they went down to the, they went down to the temple, and what happened in the temple? The guy had to open a scroll, and one person would read it, and they'd all listen. And, and we're so blessed today to have the completed revelation in our hands. But they didn't have it, so God brought prophets forward who were foretellers of the truth of who God is. And a faithful prophet spoke in God's name, gave only God's message, and did it for God's glory and the good of God's people. And that should be true today. When a man speaks, and he's speaking on behalf of God, it should be only God's word. He should be speaking, only, speaking in God's name, giving only his message, and for the glory of God alone. True prophets sought no glory, and they pointed all men to God. Today we see people that are in, quote, ministry, and are just we have Christian celebrities today, and that just grieves me. I've seen some of these Christian bands and even some pastors that travel with an entourage and have bodyguards. What's up with that? If Jesus didn't have any bodyguards and he's the son of the living God, why do you have any? That's what I want to know. Amen? And you know what? As believers, we should not be trying to keep people from us and elevate ourselves. God alone should be glorified and touch not his glory. Amen? God alone be glorified. No man under any circumstances. And so he says there, if a prophet arises or a dreamer, Now, there were those who dreamed dreams that came from God. We know that Joseph did in Genesis 37. He had a dream, and God showed him that all of his brothers would bow to him, and his own parents would bow to him. Then he told them the dream, and they didn't like it too much. Remember that? You're all going to bow to me. Oh, really? And what did they do? They threw him in a what? They threw him in a pit. And then some people came by, some Egyptians, and they sold him into slavery. And so we know that You know, he did dream a dream, and exactly what he dreamed did come true. The same is also true in Numbers 12, about talking about dreams, that they are fulfilled. But we also see that there were those who dreamed dreams that did not come from God. They proclaimed to have a dream, and they were false prophets. We see it in Jeremiah and other places. Now, I want to make this really clear. We should not pay too much attention to dreams alone. Because if somebody dreams a dream, it better agree with the Word of God. Amen? And too often what happens, some, oh, I got, a, I got a word for you, brother. And they start telling me something like, what, what is that? You got a word, but that ain't from God, amen? Now, I've had other people, I had somebody tell me right before I came to Northern California to, to start a church. I was in Southern California, I'd been there a long time, and nobody knew except my wife and I and the senior pastor what I was praying about. And this guy came up to me at church and waited for me because I was up front praying with people. An hour after church is over, he finally gets a chance to talk to me, and he comes up to me in a quiet way and says, Pastor Dave, you may think I'm out of my mind, and I'm not saying this is God, but let me just share something with you. And he shared this dream with me that was so totally for me. I meant, amen, there it is. That's the Lord. And it totally was confirmed in the Word of God, and it was totally confirmed in what God was working on my heart, and he never could have known if God didn't show him. But let's make sure when we hear people are dreaming dreams or, or, what, or having signs or whatever it might be, that it always glorifies God. Amen? I've got a word for you. It better come from the Lord. It better glorify God and it better agree with His word. And so, 
It says in verse 2, And the sign or the wonder comes to pass. Now, how did they confirm that a prophet was really a prophet? If a prophet said something was going to happen, how often did he have to be right? 100% of the time. If he was wrong once, what did they do? Stone him to death. I'm thinking that's a job you don't... You better make sure that's God. Amen? I mean, you bat 300, you're making $10 million. As a, as a, you know, as a prophet, you're batting 999, you're dead. So you better be 100% right 100% of the time. And so a prophet had to be true. So this, he says, a prophet comes and he gives you a sign or a wonder. And he says, this is going to happen. And exactly what he says happens. Now that would be a sign that he's a true prophet. But understand, just working a sign or a wonder doesn't mean somebody's truly from God. Because who else can work signs and wonders? Satan can. And the Bible tells us very clearly that there will be those who will rise up and will be false prophets. And, and, and we even know that it tells us in the Word that some will come and say that I prophesied in your names. I did sign and wonders in your name. I cast out demons in your name. And they'll say, depart from me for I know you not. So just performing a sign or a wonder does not mean that it's from God. So Moses is preparing them to say, look, someone's gonna, they're going to be guys who come. They're going to tell you some sign or wonder is going to happen and they're going to be right. But look at the rest of the verse. They're going to be those, uh, uh, it says there, a sign or wonder comes to pass of which he spoke to you. So exactly what he said would happen. But then look what he says next. Let us go after other gods which you have not known and let us serve them. Now this passage tells us again that a prophet, he speaks and it comes to pass. Then there are going to be those that are drawn away just by the signs. And the Bible tells us that we must have discernment because satan can do signs and wonders and the signs and wonders alone are not good enough it's so important that we understand that god's the the people god uses will confirm the word of god and what they say if they say something that is contrary to the bible they're not from the lord and we've seen many prophets rise and fall that pretended or said that they were from the lord and he says there let us go after other gods now this term is used three times in the text let us go find other gods. You know, we got the God for here, but we're going into Canaan, and they got other gods over there. And, you know, a lot of them thought that their gods were geographical. You know, you got the God of this city, and the God, you know, and like you got a mayor. Okay, well, he's God over there, and now we're in this nation, so that's the God over here, so let's start serving him. And somebody will do a sign and a wonder, and people will be amazed and say, let me go show you another God you've never heard of, the one that gives me this power. Let's go follow him. So he's preparing them that this is going to happen when they enter into Canaan. And he instructs them not to go in a direction contrary to the Word of God. And it's not unlike a pastor today who has the appearance of a gifting upon him, but his words are not confirmed in the Word of God. And sadly, billions blindly follow such men because they lack discernment. might be getting ahead of myself a little bit, but one such example of that is Joseph Smith. Who's Joseph Smith? Founder of what? The Mormon Church. He says that an angel showed up and talked to him. He was out in the woods and an angel showed up and gave him some golden plates, which he conveniently lost. I find that amazing. If God gives you something, you think you might hang on to it? I'm thinking. So he gets these golden plates and now he's got this new Bible because all the religions are wrong and and he had other, you know, all these things happen. And then he comes and preaches this new gospel that's totally wrong. Now, one of two things is true. Either he made it up completely because he was a fairy tale writer before he founded the Book of Mormon. That's a fact. He was a fairy tale writer. I think he just kept writing them his whole life. Okay? 
Or somebody showed up and told them this stuff, but it wasn't God. How do we know? Because it doesn't agree with the Bible. So because someone has a sign or a wonder, I don't care if he's raising people from the dead, if he does not concur with his words, do not agree with the Bible, he's not from God. Amen? Because any prophet of God will glorify God, point people to God, and be in agreement with the Word of God. Again, Satan can perform miracles. Now why would the Lord allow these false prophets to come in Why would he allow it? He allows it so that each of us will be men and women who are faithful to study God's word to know the truth and be able to recognize the lie. It's to test our faith. A faith that cannot be tested is a faith that cannot be trusted. Amen? There has to be times when our faith is tested. That's how we grow. If we could just have faith and never have it tested in our lives, we would never have an opportunity to grow. And we're to test every word that comes out of every prophet by the word of God. That's why I want you to have a Bible when you come in here. When I'm teaching you through, the God, through God's word, I want you to read it with me so you know I'm not making it up. Amen? Open your Bible, look at the verse, read it. Make sure that I'm not saying something that's contrary to the word. And if I do, you have my permission to come up here and hit me. I'm inviting you, okay? Because... That makes me a false prophet when I start teaching something other than the Word of God. It's hard to test it by the Word if you don't know the Word. Amen? Read the book, don't what? Wait for the movie, amen? We need to read the Bible so that when someone tells us a lie, we can recognize it. When the false prophecy comes, when the Baha'i faithers come by, or the JWs, or anybody who's teaching a false religion comes by, how do you recognize a lie if you don't know the truth? You won't. You need to understand. The Bible tells us to study to show yourselves approved. A workman who need not be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Verse, the rest of verse 2. Let us go after other gods which you have not known, and let us serve them. You shall not listen to the words of that prophet or that dreamer of dreams. For the Lord your God is testing you to know whether you love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. Again, why did he allow these false prophets to come across his people that their faith might be tested, that they might have an opportunity to grow in their relationship with him. God permits such imposters to arise to try the faith of his followers and again, give them that opportunity to make a stand for him. You know what? Virtually every cult that exists today came with somebody who was attending the church and decided to go off and take one of their own translations of something go contrary to the Bible, and sadly, tens or hundreds or millions of people followed them into the lie. Why? Because they were biblically ignorant themselves. Have you ever had people tell you stuff that's in the Bible that's not there? I have it all the time. Well, the Bible says God helps those who help themselves. Really? What verse is that? Second hesitations? Where is that in the Bible? I don't know where that is. Right? Cleanliness is next to godliness. It's in the Bible. No, it's not. Amen? And you have people that are biblically, and I love people say, well, yeah, the Bible's filled with contradictions. Really, name one. Well, I've never really read it. So you've never read it, but you're an authority on it. Is that what you're telling me? Well, yeah, kind of. Well, you're, yeah, that's real sharp. Amen? And so what happens is you've got people that are biblically ignorant, but the sad part is that Christians, we should never be biblically ignorant. We're to, we're to study the Word of God. We're to desire the Word of God more than our necessary food. That's what it says. How can you talk to somebody who's confused if you're confused yourself? You know what's really sad? It's, I don't know what the statistics are anymore, but I remember reading a statistic that only, one, only less than 5% of all Christians that ever led somebody to the Lord in their lifetime. 
Now, what's up with that? What did Jesus say? What was the last thing he said when he ascended into heaven? Go and make disciples of all nations. So who is he calling to do that? Every Christian, amen? It's not just up to the evangelist. It's not just up, we're all in the mission field every single day. We don't go witnessing, we are witnesses. And for us to be able to share our faith, we must know what the Word of God says. And so there's this prophet that goes off, he's got a special word from God, and tens or hundreds or thousands or even millions follow him. Remember a guy named David Koresh? Who remembers that guy? Remember him? This guy said he was Jesus and people believed him. Now, we get calls from Jesus at the office every once in a while. It's true. We get these people calling us up. What was the guy the other day? There's some guy called, I think he was John the Baptist. or No, he was David. He told me he was David. I said, no, you're not. No, man, I'm David, and I'm going to get married, and I'm, we're going to give birth to Jesus, because he's the son of David. I'm like, dude, you're out of your mind. Oh, no, but God gave me a word. No, he didn't. Here's what the Bible says, bro. You need to get saved. You need to be born again. You're a false prophet. And he's telling me I'm a false prophet. I, said, I trust the Bible. Oh, man, you need, you know, and you need to give me money. I'm thinking, I knew that was coming. <laughs> Why are you calling me if you're David? I don't get it. You, so you slew Goliath? Is that what you're telling me? Oh, yeah. I'm, man. Now, so you have these people that go, and you know the sad part is? If that guy went and talked to enough people at the mall, he'd probably have some people following him around. Amen. We had people that we had a guy that visited our church that told us he was Bartholomew. Where is this coming from? And the sad part is these false prophets, again, people follow them because they're biblically ignorant. They don't know the truth. They've never been taught the truth. And they'll follow any lie that comes down the pipe. Whether it be David Koresh who burned in a fire with many people and they all died believing he was Jesus and they found out quickly he wasn't. And, or the Mormon church or others, where they follow somebody teaching a false doctrine. And he says, don't listen to the words of those prophets. Don't listen to the words of those dreamers. This is a test for you to grow in your faith. Trust God and God alone. Don't believe in any man. Trust God. You know what? Don't believe in your pastor. Trust God. Amen? I will fail you. Ask my wife. She'll tell you. Okay? I blow it. I'm a man. But you know what? God is faithful. And I'm called by God to speak the truth, but only listen to what I say in as much as I teach you the word of God without compromise. I get away from the word, throw rocks at me. Now look what it says in verse 4. You shall walk after the Lord your God and fear Him and keep His commandments and obey His voice, and you shall serve Him and hold fast to Him. Man, I love that. That's a great verse. If you underline your Bible, underline If it's a Bible we gave you, you can take it home. Underline in that Bible... You shall walk after the Lord your God and fear Him and keep His commandments and obey His voice and you shall serve Him and hold fast to Him. No matter how attractive the deception was, they were to keep focused on God alone. Fear Him alone. Keep His commandments. Obey His voice. Serve Him. Hold fast to Him. Again, don't hold fast to, the, to any man. Don't hold fast to any doctrine that comes from the world, hold fast only to the Lord. And we're going to look at verse 4 at the very end because I believe that's the pattern for truly serving God. Verse 5. But that prophet or that dreamer shall be what? Put to death. So how does God feel about other religions? Somebody comes in and teaches you something contrary to the Bible. That's what he says. Contrary to the word that's been delivered to you. And he teaches you something, well, you know, just kind of work it into your faith and just kind of have a new faith that combines what I've taught you and what he teaches you. Is that what it says? 
you know, be in the Baha'i faith. You know, get in a circle and everybody sing Kumbaya and put your arms around each other, right? Is that what he says? He says, if they come in and teach you something different, do what? Put him to death. What does God think about other religions? Not much. Amen? Put him to death. Not, hey, there's good in all religions. Oh, you know what? Sit down and talk to him. He's a spiritual man. No doubt he can teach you something. You know what? I believe this. I'm going to share this with you. And some of you may disagree, and that's okay. But this is my opinion. You know what? I don't think you ought to be entertaining Mormons in your house or Jehovah's Witnesses or anybody else. Based on these scriptures and others. You know what? Why are you entertaining them? The Bible says don't even ask about their faith. Don't even talk to them about it. Send them packing. Now, should we pray for them? Yeah. Do they need to come to know Christ? Absolutely. But you know what? Especially if you're not somebody who's been walking with God a long, long time, all it's going to do is cause confusion. Just, and don't say God bless you either. I'll be praying for you. That's appropriate. Amen? I'll be praying that God will open your eyes. And he's saying here, look, don't bring the false prophet into your house. Don't, don't listen to what he has to say. Put him to death because he has spoken in an order to turn you away from the Lord your God. When a Mormon comes to your house, what does he want to do? Turn you away from God to the false God of Mormonism. When the Jehovah's Witnesses come to your house, what do they want to do? Turn you away from God to the false God that they believe in. They believe that Jesus is Michael the archangel. They don't believe in heaven and hell. They believe that earth is heaven. It's a, it's a train wreck. The Mormons believe that Jesus and Satan are brothers. Did you know that? They believe that Elohim, the God of this earth, used to be a man on another planet, and they're all going to be gods on their own planet one day, and that's why they have to have a bunch of wives, because they have to populate that planet someday. That's Mormon doctrine. Does that sound like the Bible? Because it's not the Bible. And so he says, look, when that false prophet comes in and starts teaching you something other than the truth, take them out and stone them to death. Now, should we stone the Mormons when they come to our house? No. Let me make that real clear. Pastor Bill, don't be editing that the wrong way on the radio, man, okay? But we don't stone them. But what you know we do, though? We send them away. Send them away. We don't have anything to do with the lie that it's perpetrated literally by the devil. I know this is heavy on some of you. Man, Pastor Dave, again. Hey, we need to know that God has a clear heart towards the truth of the gospel. Jesus came and suffered and died that you and I might have eternal life. When someone teaches you something other than that, it's blasphemy. Amen? And it's taking the cross and tearing it down. Heresy was a capital crime. And anybody who did it tried to turn people away from God. God had a clear punishment ready for them. Man, this is heavy. All right? But praise God that it's so clear for us. God has brought, God, and it says there, who brought you out of the land of Egypt and redeemed you from the house of bondage. I love here that he says they're trying to turn you away from the Lord, and then he reminds them of what he did for them. He says they're trying to turn you away from the truth, and oh, by the way, let me remind you what he did for you. He did what? He brought you out of the land of Egypt. Egypt is a type of what? The world. And he had delivered them out of Egypt. And remember how they were delivered? What was the last of the ten plagues on Egypt? What was it? Passover. The blood of the lamb was put in the shape of the cross. And all that had the blood of the lamb applied to the door, the angel of death passed over. And through Passover, they were delivered out of bondage in Egypt, a type of the world, and they were set free. And that's a picture of what Jesus did for each one of us. Amen? And so he reminds them. And you know what? We need to be reminded. We need to be reminded every day what Jesus has done for us. Amen? 
And it's so easy for us to get so caught up in the world that we get our eyes on what Christ has done for us. That's why listening to worship music and being so key when we're living our daily lives. And redeemed you from the house of bondage, delivered you from that place where you were a slave. We are no longer slaves to sin because Jesus Christ has delivered us. If the enemy can't take you to hell with him, he's going to do everything he can to render you ineffective. Look what it says, the rest of the verse. To entice you from the Lord, from the way in which the Lord your God commanded you to walk, so you shall put the evil away from your midst. God doesn't want the evil to be something that we tamper with or play with or, you know, spend time in fellowship with. We don't stone the guilty today, but we are to remove the evil from our midst. Now let me tell you something else that this applies to. And we don't see much of this in the church today. And when I say this again, let me just share my heart with you. When we have rebellion and sin in the body of Christ, it impacts the whole church. So when people are in the body of Christ, and they're living rebellious lives, and I'm I'm not talking sinful, because how many of you guys are sinners? Raise your hand. How many of you guys sinned this week? Raise your hand. If your hand's not up, you're lying and you're sinning right now. All right? We're all sinners saved by grace. That's not what I'm talking about. But I'm talking about rebellion and, and totally rebellion to God's word and refusing to repent. Yeah, I'm living that life, so I don't care. And I'm going to keep doing it. Well, the Bible says if we as the body of Christ don't bring discipline to that, it impacts the whole church. So he says, remove the evil from you. This false prophet that's here, get him out of here. We had a guy come in, come in here not that long. Oh, it's been a while ago. And praise God, he went up and talked to Manny because Manny took care of him. But the guy came in here and started talking about, he had this doctrine and he had this thing he'd written and God had given this message and we just escorted him out of here. You know, we talked to him for a minute, but we could tell he was set in his ways and we just sent him packing. Why? Because you don't have somebody who's coming in who's trying to confuse and harm God's sheep. Wolves in sheep's clothing who will come into the body of Christ. And he says, remove the evil from you. Again, how does God feel about those who preach another gospel or attempt to get people to follow Him? He says, put them to death. Remove them from your midst. Don't try to get them to fit into your church and make it all work out. Don't find a common ground. There is no common ground with the gospel with any other truth. Amen? The gospel is good enough. It doesn't need any help from men. So first five verses, we see the the, uh, temptation from false prophets or those in spiritual leadership who will try to draw people away. Remember, it's not what your pastor says. It's not what the guy on TV says. It's not what you get in the mail. It's not what some book says. It's what does the Bible say. Amen? If it's not in the Bible, I don't want to hear it. If God's Word doesn't support it, it's not from God. Now let's look at the temptation from family and friends. And I know some of you deal with this. If your brother or the son of your mother, the son of your daughter, the wife of your bosom, or your friend, who is as your own soul, secretly entices you, saying... Let us go and serve other gods, which you have not known. Neither you nor your fathers of the gods of the people, which are all around you, near to you, or far off from you, from one end of the earth to the other end of the earth. So somebody comes, and again, it wouldn't be very difficult to stone a false prophet. It wouldn't be very difficult to turn them in. This guy's a false prophet. I'm I'm telling, right? Telling on you, right? You go and you just go turn them into the elders, and they take care of it. But what if? That person is somebody close to you. What if that person is your mother or your father or your sister or your brother or even your spouse? Now, again, I'm not saying we stone our spouses, okay? Make it real clear. 
I don't, I don't want to have one of you guys on the channel, you know, the news tomorrow night, well, pastor told me to stone him because he just wasn't going for it. No. Don't do that, all right? But can you imagine that you're laying in bed at night with your spouse and in the middle of a private conversation, they, they turn to you and say, you know, that Pastor Dave's getting on my nerve. No, they, they say, you know, I, I, I'm just, I'm sure that's happened, by the way. But they turn to their spouse, and, you know, it's just the two of them, and, and I'm not going to pick on husband or wife. One of them says to the other one, you know, I think Moses is all wet. And, you know, I heard the Canaanite gods, it's pretty happy. They beat some drums over there. I heard it's pretty sweet. I think we all ought to go over there and check it out. Let's go there Sunday, you know, right? Let's, let's go check out that place next week. And you know what it says in the text? Look what it's going to say. It said right there, when they tell you to go to these other gods, right? Let's go, let's go see these other gods. And so that's kind of the conversation here. You know, and that person might come to you in a private conversation today and say, you know what, you know, you can be a Christian and go to church if you want, but you don't have to be so on fire for God all the time. You can still go party with us, right? I mean, you can still go drinking and party. Go to church on Sunday, but hang out with us on Saturday night and get lit. Go to heaven and get lit too, right? Have your cake and eat it too, right? Live like the world and serve God all at the same time. It's okay. You can do that. Or they may say to you, I know you're a Christian, but, you know, hey, we're boyfriend and girlfriend. We can still sleep together, right? I mean, we love each other. That's all that matters. You know what? We can have an impact on the gospel by how we respond to our family and friends when they try to entice us away from the Lord. And it's sometimes easier just to go with the flow and do what they want, but that's not what God wants us to do. And He's telling them here that that's what will happen. The Bible says in Matthew, He who loves his father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. He who loves his son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. That's pretty radical. You know what? I love my kids so much that it hurts. Parents, can you relate to what I'm saying? I drive down the road, I think about my kids, I start weeping. If you guys were here a month ago when I showed the video on our anniversary, it was our 20th anniversary, and I made a video of me and my wife growing up and then the first 20 years of our marriage, I was a wreck the first, every time I watched it, I still am. Because I watched my kids growing up before my eyes, and it tears my heart out and it kills me. But you know what? I love my family but I'm to love God more. Amen? Because if you love your family more, you will not honor God. And the best thing I can do for my wife is be totally in love with God. Because if I am, I will be a godly husband and I will minister to my wife. And if I love God more than anything, I will be a godly dad and minister to my kids. And he's telling them here, look, there's going to be those that try to draw you away and say, let's go and check out the other gods. You know, hey, we're, we're tight, man. Let's just, just go with me on this. You don't have to be so sold out for God all the time, do you? Come on. How many of you ever had friends say stuff like that to you? Okay. It's so true. It's so, it happens to all of us. Verse 8. You shall not consent to him or listen to him, nor shall your eye pity him, nor shall you spare him or conceal him, but you shall surely kill him. Wait a minute. Is that radical? You're laying in bed, your wife goes, you know what? I'm, I'm tired of Moses, so I'm thinking we should go down to the, you know, the first Baal church of Cupertino, down, whatever, right? Down the street. Let, they're beating drums down there. Sounds, I like their worship better. We should go down there. And they fall, and you know what? He's, the husband's supposed to go the next day and say, you know what my wife said last night? She wants us to go serve Baal. Now, 
He's saying even in secret. How much does God hate it when people try to draw his children away to false gods? He says even if they come to you in secret and try to draw you away, bring it out into the light and don't pity them, but there needs to be swift justice. Now again, we're not doing that today. We're not stoning people today. Okay? But when people try to entice you away, it needs to be brought into the light. Don't say, oh, well, maybe I can do that. Don't listen to them. Don't feel sorry for him. Don't hide what he has done, but bring it into the light that all may know. And then it says there to put them to death. Put this evil away from you. Now, it's interesting that when they stoned them, it was to be an example. Look at the rest of the verse there. It says, but you shall kill him, and your hand shall be the first against him to put him to death afterward, the hand of all the people. So the person who brought them forward had to pick up the first stone. Remember what did Jesus say when the woman caught in adultery, let he who was what? Without sin, cast the first stone. Well, this goes back to the Old Testament, and he says, the one that's been caught, the one that accuses them had to throw the first stone to make sure that they weren't falsely accusing them. You know, some accountability. You've got to pick up the rock and throw it. And then everybody threw rocks at them. Now, let me ask you a question. If there's a public stoning, you think people might want to know why? So what happened here? Oh, she was trying to get him to go to, to the Baal church down the street. Oh, I'm not going there. Amen? Oh, we won't be talking about that at my house. Because with capital punishment, there is, it does open people's eyes. And the Lord's desire was that they're getting ready to go into the land of idol worship. They're going into Canaan. There's eight nations there. They all worship idols. And he knows that there's going to be such a, a propensity just to fall into their, their worship. And just to be like the world. Just like for us today, it's so easy for us to just go and be like the world. And God says, be in the world, but not of the world. Amen? We're not to be like the world. We are to be different. We are aliens here. Amen? This is not our home. I'm so glad this isn't my home. How about you? I'm not worried about the greenhouse effect. Anything. You know why? I'm not staying. Amen? I'm going to heaven. It's going to be perfect there. And I'm going to have hair, and I'm going to be able to run fast, and all kinds of stuff, right? I mean, heaven's going to be great. I'm losing this tent. I'm leaving it behind. And so he says, look, when those come and they try to draw you away, when those come and they try to preach a false doctrine to you, he says, you bring them forward and you make an example of them so that all will understand. Verse 10, and you shall stone him with stones until he dies, because he sought to entice you away from the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage. You notice how he keeps reminding them what he did for them. Stone them to death with stones. Why? Because he tried to take you away from the Lord your God. What does God think about the other religions? How does he feel about those who come in and try to drag people away to a lie that leads to hell? He's not happy. And he makes it very clear in this text. Destroy them. Now again, do we, should we pray for the Jehovah's Witnesses? Yes. Should we pray for the Mormons? Yes. Should we pray for the atheists and the agnostic? Without question. I told you what agnostic means on Sunday, right? What does it mean? ignoramus. It means without knowledge. That's what it means. I'm an ignoramus. That cracks me up. But we're to pray for them, and we're to pray that God will open their eyes to the truth, but we are not to, you know, listen to what they say. We're not to follow after the false gods that they serve, because, again, they're out of God's will. He showed them how he felt about those who tried to take his children away from him. Think about this, parents. If someone came and tried to steal one of your kids, and take your kid to a place where they were going to be harmed unto death, how, how would you feel about that? And we're imperfect moms and dads. How does God, perfect holy God, feel about it when they try to do that to his children, which is what we are? And he says, don't have anything to do them, with them. Jesus said in Matthew 18, 
But whoever causes one of these little ones who believes in me to sin, it would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were drowned in the depths of the sea. A millstone is something they used to mill things. Those of you who went to Israel saw them. It's a big, heavy stone. This thing's massive. You wouldn't have to worry about drowning because your neck would snap off, right? Hang that thing around your neck, you, you know, right? You're done. And it says it'd be better for him than someone to come to one of my children and try to take them away from the truth and try to confuse them with the lie. Verse 11. So all Israel shall hear and fear and not again do such wickedness as this among you. Again, when people hear about why this stoning took place, it would make everybody else say, man, I'm not doing that. I'm not even going to think about following other gods. I'm not going to listen when someone tries to entice me to go away and serve somebody else. Capital punishment, when it's properly uh, practiced, is a deterrent regardless of what our government might say. It is, because God says. See, this is one of those things. God says it is, the government says it's not. Who do we believe? Read the Bible. Amen. God's Word says it. That's enough for me. So imagine the crowd again. Why is this happening? I'm not going to fall into that trap. I'll never do it. And again... It's so key. God said, remove the evil from your midst because one person's sin impacts the whole body and the whole community must deal with the sin. Anointing sin in our midst, again, will cause harm to the entire body. Love your family with your whole heart, but love God more. Last section. So we first saw the temptation that comes from the prophets, the false prophets who will, you know, you, you can hear them on TV sometimes or now, some of them are solid. How do you know the difference between a false prophet and a true prophet? Because he agrees with what? God's Word. If he doesn't agree with the Bible, he's not from God. That's why we have the Bible in our hands. The temptation from family and friends who want to draw you away. Those who are close to you who don't know God. Don't let them entice you to sin. You are called to introduce them to the Lord, not let them entice you to sin. Amen? Are you burdened for your family and friends that don't know God? We ought to be. We're the only Jesus that some of them will ever see. Now, lastly, the temptation that comes from the world. In Exodus 23, it says, You shall not follow a crowd to do evil. The Bible says, Bad company, what corrupts what? Good morals. You start hanging out with the world, you're going to be like the world. You've heard me say it many times. I'll say it again. You want to know what kind of person you are? Look at who you hang out with. Whoever you hang out with, that's who you are. So look at verse 12 through 15. If you hear someone... In one of your cities, which the Lord your God gives you to dwell in, saying, Corrupt men have gone out from among you and enticed the inhabitants of the city, saying, Let us go and serve other gods, which you have not known. Then you shall inquire and search out and ask diligently. And if it is indeed true and certain that such an abomination was committed among you, you shall surely strike the inhabitants of the city with the edge of the sword, utterly destroying it, all that is in it, and its livestock with the edge of the sword. Now, If a person committed a wicked act, the fact that hundreds of people agree with him doesn't make it right. God does not do things based on voting. Amen? What would happen to Moses? He had three million whiners. Nobody liked him. Want to go back to Egypt? Who wants to go back to Egypt? Uh, Right? Let's go home. And they all would have went back, and that's not what God wanted. So God doesn't work that way. What do you think? I think we ought, and it cracks me up. I watch TV, and you know, recently they're voting on whether or not to have homosexual priests in certain church, or pastors in certain churches and bishops, right? And they're voting like that makes a difference. We think we should. We, based on what? Well, society today. What, what has that got to do with anything? What does the Bible say? Amen? 
And the Bible is the authority. In this church, we don't vote on stuff. God said it. That settles it. Amen? We don't have committees. There are no committees in this church. I grew up in the Baptist church. We had a committee for the committee of the committees over the committee. I'm not kidding. We had that, you know, what colored carpet committee should we have? I'm serious. You vote on everything. And the sad part is they vote on the pastor every year. And my dad was the pastor. And you have people come out of the weeds to vote on whether or not to keep them for another year. We're not doing that here. You're stuck with me. We're not doing that. We, at Calvary Chapel, we vote with our feet. Amen? What do I mean by that? If you feel called to be here, you show up. And you're here, you're part of this body. That's how it works. And God is the head of this church, not any man, any pastor, any committee, anything like it. Now, it says there that, the, that there's this huge group that's following false gods. Now, again, it's not based on how many people believe it that makes it true. There's billions of Hindus. There's billions of Buddhists. I believe there's billions of Muslims. Some would say, well, look how many there are. There can't be wrong. Don't allow numbers to fool you because numbers are irrelevant. The Bible says broad is the road that leads to destruction, as narrow as the path. Amen? It's narrow. And, and most people go the broad way. But few go there by the narrow way. And again, what does he say to do? If, if there's word that comes back that there's a city where they've all gotten together and they've made a conscious decision as a group to just go after the false gods and to serve them. He says it's an abomination. That word there is a gross idolatry. If they're caught up in gross idolatry in that city, he says go in and wipe that city out completely. Now some people struggle with chapters like this because they go, man, God is just wiping people out. He's stoning people. He's telling them to stone people. And, but why is he doing it? To protect his children from falling into the lies of the devil. He says, you know what? I want to protect them. Unchecked sin like cancer will spread and destroy the whole body. And a smaller number went out, and, and he says, look, go out and find out for sure if this is true. So they went out and they saw it, and they found out it was true. And he said, if that happens, then you need to go out and wipe them out completely. Verse 16. And you shall gather all its plunder in the middle of the street, completely burn with the fire of the city and all its plunder for the Lord your God. It shall be a heap forever. It shall not be built again. Now, is he trying to make a point here? When an entire city says, and now you've got to understand, these were children of God. These were Israelites, and they turned away from God and started serving a false god. He says, go in and kill them all and take all their stuff and put it in a big pile and set it on fire. And then leave it there as a big heap. So that every time somebody went by, they look over and go, oh, those are those people that started serving Baal. We're not doing that. Right? Can you imagine driving through your neighborhood and everybody started serving a false god, their house got burnt to the ground? You drive through the neighborhood, oh yeah, they were serving Baal over there. We won't be doing that anytime soon, right? Wouldn't that be a great warning every day? You know, back in those days, they stoned people for adultery. And, and, and uh, J. Vernon McGee said, if they still stoned every adulterer, we couldn't drive through town because there'd just be piles of rocks everywhere. But back then, they stoned the adult- So every time you saw a pile of rocks, you thought, oh, I'm not doing that. And so this was an example that when a city turned its eyes away from God, that God's judgment came upon it. Sodom and Gomorrah found that out, didn't they? They turned away from God, they were caught up in homelessness, and God rained hell fire upon them. Well, fire from heaven, actually, and wiped them out. Completely took the believers out. Sometimes I wonder what's going to happen to San Francisco. Verse 17. So none of the accursed things shall remain in your hand, that the Lord may turn from the fierceness of his anger and show mercy and have compassion on you and, the multi- and multiply you just as he swore to your fathers. Now, when this happened, they were not to take any of the stuff with them. They were not to take any of the stuff with them. They were to leave it all there. 
And there would be a temptation that destroying a big city would be a bummer because it's taking away a lot of stuff. And sometimes we can feel the same way with maybe our friends. You know, but if I make a stand for God, I might lose my friend. If I make a stand for God, then they may not talk to me anymore. If I make a stand for God, I could even lose my job. And he's telling them here, look, you make a stand for me and you do what I've told you and I will multiply you. Trust God, be obedient to him, and know that what he gives you will be better than anything that you have lost. You grew up in a godly home with ungodly parents or you grew up in a home with godly parents, the judgment is the same because this city received the exact same judgment as the Canaanite cities did. And again, he said, I want you to wipe them out. Don't try to hold on to it. And that's a message for each of us as believers that we should not try to hang on to the world as we follow Christ. Christ alone should be enough. Last verse. Because you have listened to the voice of the Lord your God to keep all His commandments which I command you today to do what is right in the eyes of the Lord. When we're obedient to give up that which can harm us, God will multiply that which He puts in its place. Give up friends that would entice you to sin and God will replace it with friends who will encourage you in your walk with God. Let go of a job that keeps you out of fellowship. God will give you a better one that will allow you to be here the way He wants you to be. And the chapter again clearly answers the question of what God thinks about other religions. He orders the complete annihilation of those who would serve false gods. A, sit, a man serves a false god, he says, wipe him out. Somebody goes and entices somebody to draw him away to false gods, he says, wipe him out. A city serving false gods, he says, level it. Now, I want to close with this because maybe you're here and you don't understand the grace of God. I want to make sure that you do. But asking this question, what would lead you away from God? Signs and wonders? Somebody came in here and started raising people from the dead? Would you? Oh, man. Uh, what about... Uh, forsaking God for, or, or all your friends, if you had to choose between your friends and God, if you had to choose between your job and God, if you had to choose between anything else and God. And yes, God is the most important thing. And maybe you're here tonight and that's hard for you to understand. And maybe you know, you're just not grasping that. Man, I, you know, I want to serve God, that's fine, but I don't want it to be all of my life. Well, you know what? He gave all of His life for you. Amen? And I want you to know that, that Jesus came and suffered and died that you might have eternal life. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. So in closing, I believe verse 4 has the answer to living a godly life in the midst of idol worship. He says, walk after the Lord, not men. Fear God, not men. Keep His commandments. Obey His voice, not the voice of your unsaved family and friends who would draw you away into sin. Serve Him, not your flesh. Hold fast to Him, not this world. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word and we thank you, Lord, that you are a God of love and grace and mercy. And this chapter is a warning to us that, Lord, you, you've given us one way. You've given us one truth. You've given us one hope. And, Lord, it's all we need. And we thank you for that truth. And we thank you for the clarity of what it means to be a Christian. And, Lord, I just pray for anybody here who doesn't know you, who maybe this word was hard for them to hear, that, Father, you'd, they would know your love and your grace. And Lord, if we have family and friends who are caught up in these cults, Lord, I do pray that their eyes would be open to your truth. That Lord, we would not approach them self-righteously or arrogantly, but Lord, we would reach out to them in love, but at the same time, Lord, we would never compromise the truth. So Father, we love you. Help us, Lord, to be salt and light to a lost and dying world. Help us, Lord, to hear only your voice and not be drawn away to serve the gods of this world. 
We ask these things in your holy and your precious name we pray. And all God's people said, amen. Let's stand and close the worship song.